Well, it has been quite a while since I've had a chance to catch up with this man, but boy, it is better late than never when you're talking about a Hall of Famer, when you're talking about a pioneer, you're talking about a two-time uh, champion, two-weight two division champion, I should say, one of the greats of all time, and he's got local ties here, everybody. He's joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. The one, the only, Randy Couture is here. Randy, how are you, man? I'm doing very good, thanks. It's it's good to talk to you, and we're going to get into what's coming up uh, next month. A ride for our troops event is is happening in Everett. You're going to be out there. I'm going to be out there. A very cool thing you're involved with. But yeah, I want to talk some MMA with you. It's been it's been quite some time since we've had a chance to speak, and since then you are now you're now calling the action, or you're part of the team, I should say, along with Kenny Florian, uh, looking at what's happening in the world of the PFL. And and I'm curious how how smooth has this transition been for you because you're a guy that you fought into your 40s you you set some records you achieved some things that at an age people thought you couldn't but it, to me that speaks to that that never say die attitude that never really ready to quit that that I still think I can do it attitude when did that finally go away or where you went you know what as much as I feel like wow. I can compete and I know I probably could compete I know my it's 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 over for me right now. Yeah, you know, it, it took a while to come to terms with uh, what was going on. I uh, I was getting ready for James Tony in, in 2008, 2009. We're fighting in Boston, and it seemed like every old injury I'd ever experienced through wrestling and fighting just flared up during that camp for no particular reason. And I think it was the first time that little voice we all have in our head said, man, maybe your body's trying to tell you it's time to do something else. And uh, I think once you start having that conversation internally, you probably need to take a good hard look at what you're doing. It's a tough way to make a living. Uh, it took me a while to kind of come to terms with it. I certainly didn't want to retire on the James Tony fight. I fought a couple more times after that. But uh, I decided that it was time. Whether I won, lose, or draw against Leota Machida, I was going to walk away from the sport and focus on all the other stuff I had going on in my life. I didn't want to keep grinding out camps and sustain an injury that was going to affect the quality of the rest of my life either. So uh, came to a rational decision, didn't tell a lot of people about it because I figured it would take on a life of its own and, uh, and decided that the Leota was going to be the last one. And that was in 2011. Um, in April of 2011, I fought up at, Toronto Blue Jay Stadium against Lyoto. Fight didn't go my way. I think I won the first round on the front kick in the uh, second round. Knocked out all four of my front teeth, even with the mouth guard in. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, hell, I'm ready for Hollywood now. I'm getting some new teeth. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so that's kind of how it went down. I uh, walked away and never really looked back, honestly. Well, and 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 I forgot to to mention your your acting accolades as well, uh, you know, in, in your post fight career. But it, I'm just curious, from you know, now you're outside the cage and you're commentating and you're talking about what you're seeing inside there, which I think is great because that insight is is just very unique. But how much has the game changed, you know, since you started, since the day you entered? You know, everybody came in with a specialty. You were a wrestler. Other guys are strikers. Some guys are jujitsu yeah. aces, if you will. And it feels like the the new generation if you will are just they they're mma fighters i mean they just grow up without a specialty and they just they kind of come into the sport knowing a bit of everything maybe not an emphasis on any one area yeah i kind of explained this in generations there's the first generation of, of mixed martial artists that you know we called it no holds barred back then and we were all kind of out to prove that our our background in fighting style was the best and had everything you needed 
And I think I came in on the end of that in, in 2007. And uh, we realized quickly that we didn't know everything we needed. Certainly as a wrestler, I didn't have all the skills I needed to be a well-rounded fighter and be successful. So we started cross-training and putting our backgrounds to the side and trying to learn all this other stuff. And that kind of rolled into that second generation of fighters, which I would, the, the meat of my career was kind of in that generation. And there were a bunch of kids that saw us and said, man, that's what I want to do. And they didn't care about a background or a belt or anything. They just wanted to be a mixed martial artist. And I think that's the kids that we're watching now. They're so exciting, so well-rounded, amazing tactics and technique. And the, the level of athleticism has just gone through the roof, not just in the U.S. market or the Japanese market or the Brazilian market, which is where the sport started, but around the world. I mean, we're seeing a lot of Dagestanis. The PFL is a great example because we have over 20 countries represented in the PFL this season in our fourth season. So it's, it's been a remarkable evolution for the sport and it's been a blast to kind of be part of all that. Well, and and the other part of that is, you know, the UFC is the biggest name in MMA. That's the one everybody is familiar with, even casual fans, but it feels like over the years, and I've had this conversation with a bunch of different fighters, Randy, that, that, that gap in talent has closed. If it's not evened out almost now it used to be there's the ufc and then everything else is a lesser version of that talent wise older fighters go to this promotion blah 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 and now watching the pfl and watching one fighting and watching bellator that it feels like and there's a lot of cross-pollination now you know you got a lot of fighters that were in the ufc now fighting in all these other promotions that that gap in talent has has closed if not disappeared do you do you feel that way in watching it Absolutely. I, th- I think that uh, there's plenty of room in the marketplace for, for all the organizations. It's a great time to be a professional fighter because there's a lot of options, a lot of places to to have an opportunity to apply your wares and show your skills and, and be a professional athlete. So uh, I think, you know, the, the largest promotion and sometimes uh, synonymous with the sport is those three letters, the UFC. But uh, Bellator has done a great job. Uh, Obviously, the PFL has moved up the ranks big time. There are a lot of like LFA and a a lot of regional organizations that are great jumping off points for for athletes that are trying to find their way up the ladder uh, now. And so there's a lot of places to be a good professional mixed martial artist these days. And that's great for the sport. As far as what you do in, in you, or in the, the promotion you're, you're a part of in the PFL, and you, again, you're along there with Kenny Florian watching what's going on and, and talking about it. Do you like that that tournament style, that, that sort of one and done, hey, you, you lose, you're eliminated kind of thing? I know there are opportunities to get back into it, but the point system and everything is, is very different than what we see in, in the UFC, certainly. Do you like that? Would you have liked that when you yeah, were fighting? I think, I, I, I think I would have liked that. I think a lot of fighters do like that because they know exactly when the next fight is. We take the PFL took mixed martial arts and put it into a true sports format with a regular season, a postseason, and a championship every year, rather than traditional prize fighting, which is you know kind of rank everybody and let and then have a series of prize fights over the course of a year and, and maybe you'll get a shot at that guy ranked ahead of you. Maybe you'll get a shot at the title. That's kind of how the sport in, in prize fighting has always gone with boxing and MMA. And PFL saw a, a way to, to do it a little bit differently. And, man, I, I certainly questioned it when I first saw the format. I thought, man, turning around and fighting every every six or seven weeks, that's a big ask. 
but uh, you know, it's physically, it's a big ask. And uh, but if I was twenty five, I'd probably be all over it. Uh, in fact, if I was thirty five, I'd probably still be all over it. <laughs> Maybe <Yeah>. even forty five. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I've been amazed. The fighters have taken that adversity uh, and just really handled it, managed their camps differently because they are turning around in the regular season and fighting every six weeks. They know exactly when their next four fights are going to be. They're not fishing around with promotions, trying to figure out when they're going to get the nod and get another chance to fight. And that regularity keeps them in shape longer, keeps them in, in a higher fitness level longer. They're, they learn technique and tactics. They don't seem to get injured as much, which seems counterintuitive, but that's certainly what I've been seeing the last four years now in the PFL. You know, you, you brought up your fight with James Tony, which, you know, was, was one of the first. I can't remember if that was before or after uh, Tim Sylvia and Ray Mercer. Do you remember? I think I think the Ray fight happened after, if I remember correctly, but I'm not sure. I okay. know there was an agreement uh, with, with Ray and, and uh, Tim Sylvia and that they, they weren't, Tim wasn't supposed to kick. <laughs> and oh, yeah. the first thing that Tim did was he kicked Ray and pissed him off. <laughs> and, and that was kind of the end of the fight. You got yeah. Right after that. So, yeah. But um, yours, <laughs> yours was certainly the bigger fight. There was a lot of a buzz around that. And I remember just saying, and I grew up boxing. I grew up participating and watching. And I love the sport. But I remember when that fight was, was the lead up to the fight was, oh, man, uh, you know, an MMA fighter is not going to be able to sit there and trade punches with an MMA, uh, boxer. And I kept thinking that the second Randy gets his hand on him, the fight's over. Right? Yeah. Tony's not yeah, going to know what to do. Question, exactly. The real question was, in four months' time, how much MMA tactics and technique was James Tony going to be able to, to, to learn? And I think we answered that question in about 45 seconds. Not much. <laughs> yeah, not much. <laughs> but, but we've seen, Randy, how that's taken off. I mean, yours was the biggest, you know, spectacle, if you will, uh, between an MMA fighter and a boxer making a crossover. Now we, we, now it's more about MMA fighters getting into the boxing ring as opposed to the other way around. What, what do you yeah. think of that when you see that? When you see, when you see McGregor fight, you know, Mayweather, and you see now it's YouTube stars. Now it's Tyron Woodley or Ben Askren fighting, you know, Jake Paul or Logan Paul. You know, the uh, it, it, for me as a fight fan, I look at that and go, man, I, I, don't, I understand it brings attention. There's eyes. There's money to be made, so I don't blame them. But as a, as a hardcore fight fan, I don't love it. Where, where are you at with that? Well, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Uh, and here's, you know, the difference. It is shining a light on the disparaging difference between what MMA fighters get paid and what boxers get paid and why that's so. And I think that Conor McGregor had a huge opportunity to really highlight that when he got his boxing license in California, which all came about because my manager talked to his management and, and basically gave him the path to, to get where he wanted to go, which was to fight Floyd. Um, it shined that when he got that boxing number, his contract with the UFC was null and void at that point. He then became protected by the federal legislation founded in 1996 called the Muhammad Ali Act that protected boxers from promoters like Don King and Bob Arum and made transparency in, in the sport of boxing. That's why those fighters are allowed to represent themselves, get better deals. They know how much exactly how much money is coming in from any single boxing match that, that they've been involved with. So they then can appropriately negotiate for their fair share of the income that comes in from those events. 
None of that takes place in mixed martial arts. There is no transparency. We're, we're held, our feet are held to the fire to sign these horrible contracts, taking away our ancillary rights and all these other things in mixed martial arts. And consequently, we don't have a fair negotiation for what we're truly worth in the marketplace in mixed martial arts. So I will get behind a guy who runs his mouth like Jake Paul all day long, as long as he's poking Dana White and shining a light on the disparaging difference in MMA. Show me another professional sport where 13 to 15% of the revenue that comes in from any one event goes to the athletes in that event. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. That's what these crossover fights, the trillers and all this stuff that's going on is, is shining a light on. You know, they're very, you know, Jake Paul is very calculated about who he picks yeah. to fight. He's picking <laughs> yeah. guys that are great mixed martial artists because they have very strong wrestling backgrounds. They're not strikers. Ben Aspen isn't a striker. You know, Tyron Woodley's a great guy and a great fighter, but he's not a striker. He's a national champion for Missouri wrestling. He's not a boxer. And so he's very calculated in who he chooses. Again, I, I'm not a fan of that. Why don't you pick an Anderson Silva, one of our, you know, Vitor Belfer, one of our guys that actually has a striking background. If you want to make your name for yourself off of mixed martial artists back, then pick one that actually strikes. Now he thinks he's picked Michael Bisping. Okay, well, great. Michael's an amazing fighter, but he's only got one eye right now. Yeah. He's picking the one-eye boxer. Come on. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, you're, you're right. He's very selective. Very, they're, they're older. They're past their prime. They've got some physical ailments. And, and A, on top of it, you know, they, they're not strikers. So, yeah, it is, it is a very easy, easier way. I won't say easy, but easier way to make a lot of money and, and ensure yeah, himself he- a win. Absolutely. He's making the most of those, and, and good for him. And, yes, Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren made more money from those one single boxing matches than they made from any of their MMA fights, which is a shame. It's not fair. It's not right. Could you could you ever see a time where a legit boxer, it doesn't even have to be a champ, maybe just somebody who's ranked in the top 10, top 15, steps into the cage and fights somebody, or vice versa, where you know we, we see – you know, a legit fighter sort of sort of do what Connor did and fight somebody like Floyd, but where it's actually competitive. Because I just feel like anybody who steps in the cage, I don't care if it's if it's Floyd in his prime. I don't care if it's uh, you know you can throw anybody you want in there. You can throw the heavyweights in there, Tyson Fury. It doesn't matter. The second the guy gets his his hands on him, the fight's going to be done. These guys don't know what to do. Yeah. It, it's going to be it's going to be incredibly one sided and unfair. And the same would be true. We're talking about Francis and Ganu fighting Tyson Fury. I'm like that. That's it's not going to be competitive. P- people seem don't seem to understand how big of a gap there is. You know, when you're stepping yeah, into the other fighter's backyard. Francis has spent a, a bunch of time, and obviously Francis is one of our guys. He trains with us here at Extreme Couture. He spent a ton of time working on his wrestling because he came in with that striking background and that natural power was able to knock guys down but and, and some guys out. But also, Stipe pointed out a glaring weakness. He couldn't stop them from taking him down and putting him on his back. And so he spent the last couple of years really showing up that part of his game. And we saw what happened when he, when he had the rematch with Stipe. He took Stipe down, and, and he used the new wrestling skills he developed to put himself in position to win that fight. That is the game. If you're coming from that boxing background, you better figure out how to do some wrestling and, and some grappling to stay out of those positions so you can use your strength, which is your boxing. That is Chuck Liddell's fighting style. He was a collegiate wrestler who also had a long 
history of kickboxing, he used his wrestling effectively to keep himself standing and, and knock guys out. He did it very, very effectively. That That's the two sides of this coin between the crossover fights between boxers and mixed martial artists. We have yet to see a very good boxer. Yes, James Tony did it, but obviously James didn't really learn any mixed martial arts. <laughs> I think if he wants to be successful, he's going to have to really spend the time, shore up those parts of the game, and then he'd probably be great in MMA, give him the time to get his feet under him and get some smaller fights in and, and shore up some of those weaknesses. And the same thing is true about a guy like Francis or Michael Bisping, who's, you know, we just saw Vitor Belfort knock out Evander Holyfield in the thriller. I mean, Vitor was literally Olympic caliber boxing in Brazil. He's got a great striking background. Here's a guy, you know, Anderson Silver knocked out Tito in 25 seconds because Anderson, again, has that great striking background. Give him the time to get his feet under him and, and, and prepare himself for a striking engagement with those rules of engagement. I think those guys would do well and, and be able to hold their own. And does that mean they're going to beat world champions? You know, that's going to take a while, I think. But they're certainly going to compete well because they have that background. Right, right. And, and in all fairness to Holyfield, he's almost 60 years old, and he, he moved yeah, around and looked like he was thing. about 70. <laughs> there's the thing. In your prime. You, you yeah. mentioned in your prime a couple times, and, and I don't know if you're going to get any of these guys in their prime to cross over because it just doesn't make sense. It's not where their bread's buttered. It's, you know, they've already spent all that time getting to the pinnacle of their career and the prime of their career in the sport that they chose. So why risk that and cross over? Hey, last thing before I we talk about the event that's coming up uh, June 25th that you're a part of, a very cool event that I'm going to be proud to be a part of as well. But just in terms of, of your life after the cage, you mentioned you've done acting. You, you've got a fight team out there. Your son Ryan was fighting for, for a while. What, what is that like when you've, got a, when you've got a fight team, you've got fighters that you're invested in, if you will, you know, just emotionally and, and everything and seeing your son out there, being on the outside but having that connection and that rooting interest? Are, are the nerves more than they were when you were the one walking to the cage, or how does that go? Those guys have done nothing but bring pride to, to the brand, pride to, to my involvement with each and every one of them. It's just been amazing to watch them flourish and, and, and do and chase their dreams, chase their passions like I was able to do. And, and so I don't get nervous about it. I mean, there's a certain amount of nervousness because you're, there's this lack of control. You're, as a coach, someone outside the cage, you can't really, I mean, the work is done. You, once they step up in that cage, you can't affect anything, really. I mean, you can be a, as big a supporter as you can be, but you, you really have a big loss of control, and that's what drives a lot of people crazy as coaches. Is you, don't, you know, it's different when you're the one in there. So uh, I didn't get even nervous watching my son. You know, we, we developed uh, a relationship in how to deal with that competitive spirit that he had through wrestling and high school. And I was like, man, you've got to coach. I'm not going to coach you. I'm going to step back. you got coaches. I'll be your biggest cheerleader. But if you want my opinion, you're going to have to ask me. Otherwise, I'm keeping my mouth shut. I've just seen too many of those parents that are living vicariously to their kids yeah. and, and really causing a problem. So I wanted to take a big step back. He wanted to, to wrestle, and, and then eventually he wanted to fight as well. And I, I wanted to be because he wanted that, because he was passionate about that and had nothing to do with me. And uh, in both those instances, both in wrestling and in fighting, eventually he came around to asking me questions, asking me to be part of his camp, part of his process. And I was certainly proud and happy to be involved with his journey 
in chasing what was in his heart and what his passion was. So that worked out for us. He retired about two years ago, just had his first baby, and I signed the gym over to him. Let the new, young, fresh kid with fresh eyes and fresh attitude run run the brand, and it's been flourishing and doing great. Him and Eric Nixick and Dennis Davis have just done a great job of rebuilding the fight community and the family at Extreme Couture since I retired in 2011. So it's been going great there. They're doing a great job, and the team is is doing a great job as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Well, and 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 the reason the the reason we're able to talk to you today, and I, I need to thank Law Tigers. I'm working with them, and they're part of this event that's coming up on June 25th. Ride for our troops, which will start in Everett, Washington. By the way, anybody who doesn't know, that's where you were born, right? You were born in Everett, Washington. That's right. That's yeah. right. I was born in in uh, 1963 in Providence Hospital, right up there in Everett, and uh, grew up. Went to high school, Linwood High School, graduated in the class of 1981, where I uh, promptly got married and, and left for the Army. And really haven't lived back up in other than Oregon was the closest I'd been to the Pacific Northwest since I left for basic training in 82. Um, and it was that service that was the, the motivation for wanting to uh, form a foundation to, to help some of these guys that have been wounded since 9-11. Uh, so the Extreme Couture GI Foundation was founded in 2008 here in Las Vegas with the Extreme Couture and my gym staff. Uh, we're a small foundation that drives to raise money and awareness for those folks that have been wounded in combat and take some of that financial pressure off them as they transition back to the c- civilian world. Um, we This is our 14th year doing the ride in Las Vegas. A uh, very good friend, Pat Crosby, who's a successful construction businessman up there in Seattle, came to one of our events in Las Vegas and said, man, I really would love to do something like this up in Seattle for our veterans up there. And he said, well, that, you know, that'd be great. I think it'd be amazing. So this is our second ride uh, with Pat that Pat has organized up there. One of my old high school buddies, Mark Bagley, and another one, Jeff Lind, have, have helped uh, organize this up in Everett and, and the surrounding areas uh, for a charity motorcycle poker run for the Extreme Couture GI Foundation. So I'm excited to be back home and promote the foundation and, and doing some things to help out these guys that put their butts on the line in the war on terror. It's it's a very cool event, man. I'm I'm really excited about it. People can go to xcgif.org, xcgif. .org and get all the information. June 25th starts in Everett. There's going to be prizes. There's a $30 donation to ride, $10 for passengers, prizes for best and worst poker hands, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and there's going to be uh, other yeah, raffle prizes. I'll be out there, you know, representing Law Tigers, and they're involved with this. It's just a really cool thing that you're doing out there. Last thing before I let you go, how long have you been riding? Gosh, you know, I grew up on a little... DT-125 riding back and forth to Linwood High School when I was in, in high school. I got my endorsement there. And then I didn't really get my first real road bike until I moved to Vegas about 17 years ago. So, um, you know, kind of started on dirt bikes and enduros as a kid around the the, the Washington-Linwood area. And then uh, in the last 17 years, I picked up the road bike and, and ridden across the country several times with the foundation and it's just been a joy. It's my happy place, definitely. The rest of the world goes away when you're on that bike with the wind in your face and the sun on your back. 
and you got to pay attention. <laughs> no distractions. Yep, you're you're right, and you're right, man. I love. I just started writing maybe six years ago, and I'm I just kick myself that I didn't do it sooner. I absolutely love it. So this is going to be such a fun event, Randy. I can't wait to see you out there again, June twenty fifth. Go. All the information is available for you. Xcgif.org. Xcgif.org. Uh, very cool event going on. All the details are there. Randy's going to be out there on the twenty fifth. I'm going to be out there. It's going to be a great day. Randy, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. Talking. Uh, I could talk MMA with you for hours and hours, which I know would would probably just drive you nuts. So I'm going to let you go. But I look <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing you on the twenty fifth, my friend. Thanks. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.